Well, hello again. Uh, we continue uh, a message series through Advent today titled Unto Us. And this being the last Sunday in Advent, this is the last in this series. And um, you know, we, we remember that by God's guidance, the prophet Isaiah foretold the coming of a Messiah, a rescuer who would save his people from their sin. Uh, and of course, living on this side of the cross, we know that that person was, was Jesus. And Jesus, just as promised, came the first time. And, and of course, he has promised to return. And that's what really Advent is about, setting our hearts on the return of Christ and orienting our, our whole lives around who Jesus is, what he has done for us, and what he has said he will do in the future. So far, we've looked at Isaiah 7 and 9 and 11. And just a quick recap by way of setup for today's message. In Isaiah 7, King Ahaz faced a pretty bleak set of circumstances. He thought he was going to be overrun by a couple other kings, but God said it wouldn't happen. And Ahaz was faced with a, a, a decision. Would he trust what God said or would he try to fix his problem on his own? And of course, we learned that he tried to fix his problem on his own. And that's representative of all of us. We take things into our own hands. We go our own way. And experientially, this, this problem of sin, this problem of departing God, leaves us feeling restless, uh, like a wanderer, you know, restless, lack of peace, without a deep sense of settledness, a sense of wandering, like we're not grounded, like we have no roots. When we leave God, that's what we get. We don't get freedom, we get problems. But in Isaiah 9, we saw God make a stunning commitment. He said that he, he would promise not to change his plan to help us because of our sinfulness and brokenness. He was going to stick to his plan, and the people living in darkness would see a great light. Here it is. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. You know, Jesus is the light of the world, and he, and he leads us out of distress and darkness and gloom. And in Isaiah 11, we saw that uh, what, what the promised Messiah would do. You know, he would lead by God's spirit. He would inaugurate a, a kind of kingdom that's completely unknown to this world. So week one in this series was about the promise of a child. Week two, about who that child would be. Remember, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Last week was about what that child would do. And this final week is about how the child would do what he came to do, how he would accomplish bringing in this new kingdom. So week one was the promise, and then who he was, and then what he would do, and this week, how he would do it. So this is the how. Now, be before we read the passage, remember that this was written in the last half of the 8th century BC, 700 plus years before Jesus was born. And what we're about to hear was written as a poem in Isaiah's prophecy. It has five stanzas with three verses each, and it includes such specific and accurate foretelling of what Jesus would do that it forces us to grapple with our tendency to trust more in our reason than in what God is revealing to us. So as we listen to the text, listen for that, would you? And before we read the text, let's pray together. God, as we open your word, we pray that you would pour out your spirit on us, 
we understand from the basic teaching of the Bible that you want us to know you, that it's your desire for us to not just know about you, but to know you and to live in a relationship with you. So, Father, make it so this moment, this day, by the power of your spirit as we read your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the word of the Lord from Isaiah. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the Lord, arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to, to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jennifer and Megan.
As one commentator wrote, to read this passage is to stand on holy ground. This is the God of the universe telling us that he loves us too much to let us go. Telling us that he loves us too much to allow us to remain as we are. This is the God of the universe who owes us nothing telling us that he will give us everything. This is the God of the universe whom we abandoned telling us that he will be despised, rejected, pierced, crushed, oppressed, and afflicted not only on our behalf but in our place. All for the purpose of restoring our relationship with God. The relationship we broke by walking away. And this is light in the darkness. This is hope for the hopeless. This is healing for the broken. This is salvation for the lost, sight for the blind, and life for the dead. This is the good news of Jesus. And it was all written more than 700 years before he was born. And any good communicator knows that you should tell people what you're going to say and then say it and then tell people what you said. In a similar way, God has done that here. In this passage, God told us what he was going to do. Then at that first Christmas long ago, he showed up in Jesus to do that. And now by both word and spirit, God continues to tell us what he has done for us. And, and what he did worked, meaning it was effective. That's what the first verse of our passage is about today. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised to life and highly exalted. In the original language, the Hebrew, that word translated wisely means to act in a way that is successful or effective. Meaning, my servant will act successfully and accomplish his purpose. His death will make atonement for the people I love. And then the rest of the verse seems clear, doesn't it? He'll be raised from the dead. He'll see the light of life. And and at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He will be highly exalted. You know, there's so much in this passage. There's not time to go verse by verse today. So let's, let's look at just two things as we conclude our Advent series. The substitutionary nature of what Jesus has done for us and what it means for us. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And when you look at what the Bible says about what God has done 
for us, you just can't get away from the idea that Jesus did something in our place, not just on our behalf. And I want us to really get this point today. If there's a big idea, this is it. And it's not an exercise in splitting hairs. There's actually quite a large difference between doing something in the place of versus on behalf of. I mean, look at the text. He took up our pain. He bore our suffering, our transgressions, our iniquities, our punishment. The pain was the pain we were going to experience. The suffering was the suffering we were going to experience. The piercing was ours, as was the crushing. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Of course, Jesus did that on our behalf. There's no question about it. But also, he experienced all of that in our place. So, we don't have to. And we were the sheep who turned away. And he was the one who accepted the consequences of our decision. I mean, this is... This is the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of the Christian message that in Jesus, God stepped into our place. That in Jesus, God paid a debt that he didn't owe for a people who couldn't pay. And moreover, that in Jesus, God declares us to be righteous, just like Jesus was righteous in in right relationship with God. So God in Christ doesn't just erase the negative balance in our account. He pours into it the perfect righteousness of Christ the equivalent of spiritual millions into our account. God doesn't just erase the negative. He gives us the perfection of his son. And we can live in a relationship with God right now, trusting that God interacts with us as if we've been made perfect, just like Jesus. I mean, this is the amazing love of God, that the substitutionary nature of what Jesus did for us. You know, if If Jesus gives us a peace that passes understanding, then certainly the love of God that Jesus reveals is even further beyond our understanding. And look at verse 11. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. After he has suffered, after he suffered on the cross, he will see the light of life. He'll, he'll be raised from the dead, see the light of life in resurrection. Will justify many through his substitutionary atonement. Remember the scripture we read earlier, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That would be a wonderful study to do sometimes. Sit down with your Bible with this passage in Isaiah and begin mapping the phrases to New Testament fulfillments. You can probably spend a whole week doing that. It's an amazing experience. See, God was revealing all of this to people not because he had to, but because he wanted to. God wants us to know about this. He wants us to know him. That's why he told us what he was going to do. 
before he did it and why he continues to tell us what he did by both word and spirit. God wants us to know. God wants you to know. And all of this reveals such great love that we can rest in the security of God's love. Really, this is not just a, a kind of a Sunday school idea. This is a reality of life based on what we as Christians believe has really happened in the world. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Let's go back to verse 11 just for a moment because I breezed over just a small part. Did you catch the part I skipped? It was the and be satisfied part. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. So what's that about? You know, the, the word in the original language has uh, the meaning of being satisfied like you are after eating a really good meal. I'm not talking like Thanksgiving where you ate too much and have to unbuckle your pants a little bit or something. It's not gorged, stuffed, where you're uncomfortable. It's talking about that, that sense that you have sometimes where you feel like nothing is left unsatisfied. It has this feeling of abundance of satisfaction, pleased and fully satisfied. If you're part of the larger fifth family, you might remember an illustration I used a few months back. I shared the story of a Christian conference speaker who did a little test with various audiences he engaged. He would ask people, when you imagine Jesus, what comes to your mind? And he would let people do this if it was in a context where they could give feedback to him, maybe in a larger uh, class as opposed to a conference or something. And people would say things like, well, I, you know, I envisioned Jesus with the little children and how great he was with kids and kind of what that means for his love for me. Or I, I tend to imagine Jesus engaging that Samaritan woman at the well. And the, the graciousness of that and kind of breaking all the social standards to show love. And, and people kind of went on like this, sharing their images of Jesus. And the speaker's realization was that we were all envisioning Jesus as he was, not as he is now. Because right now, Jesus is the living, living a risen, all-powerful king of the universe reigning in glory, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the author of life, the one who holds all power. And right now, says this verse from Isaiah, I think, Jesus is feeling satisfied. He will see the light of life and be satisfied. He's feeling satisfied because looking back, he would do it all again. Jesus looks back on all it cost him to redeem us and he sees it as worth it He sees you and me in all of our brokenness, all of our sinfulness, and thinks 
we were worth it. And he is satisfied. Friends, that is the love of God. And this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. God loves people that much. Now, we do have a part. It's a small part. Jesus is satisfied because he knows that he has done everything in his power to bring us home, bring us home to God again. He gave it all. There's, there's nothing left to give. He has done everything that he can to bring people home to God. So the last step after being extended such a great invitation is for us to accept it. You know, the Bible uses that imagery. The Bible talks about this as a wedding banquet to which we've been invited. We've actually received the invitation. The banquet is ready. Everything is prepared. The host has all of the seats arranged. The the meal is fully prepared and, and waiting. All we have to do is accept the invitation. I I didn't grow up in the the church, so I I would hear people talk about um, accepting Jesus into your heart or receiving Christ or you've, you've got to give your life to Jesus. And to be honest, I had no idea what they were talking about. I, I really didn't understand uh, what that kind of Christian lingo meant. So it's a pretty high value for me to be able to explain that to you. What it means is a transfer of trust. It means turning to God, actually, not, not the idea of God now, to God the person and transferring trust for our lives and our destinies and our whole selves from whatever it is that we have been doing to prop ourselves up on our own to God and everything that God has done for us in Jesus. That's the initial step of following Christ and it's a very, very important one. And I invite you to that. I believe God is inviting us to that. If you've never taken that step, why wait? You won't receive a better invitation in this lifetime. You get everything for nothing. Now, there's no magic incantation. It's, it's simply a heart thing, turning to God and expressing to God from your heart I, I turn to you. Help me turn from everything I know to be wrong. Pour out your spirit on me. Help me, Lord. I need your help. Pray that if you haven't today. That indeed will make it a merry Christmas. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me, would you? Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you for the gospel.
thank you that the faith into which you have led us by your spirit is not simply one of many spiritual beliefs among many on the smorgasbord of world religion. Thank you that the claims you have made are historic, not just philosophical. Thank you that we can grapple with the reality or the claim that we live in a world where a resurrection has happened, that we live in a world where an incarnation has happened, that you came to earth personally to do everything of which we just read today. It's amazing love, Lord. Thank you for that. Pour out your spirit on all of us and help us all to take the next step with you, whether it be the initial step or a turning back to you or a stepping out in faith for some, something to which you're calling us. God, help us take the next step with you. Give us courage and help us. Help us rest in your love, Lord. We love you. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.